You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, we started this series last week, so we did an overview of the book, but now we're going to take the time to uh, just go through it and um, work our way uh, through the book, through this letter from the Apostle Paul. You know, different ones, uh, often in their field of work or hobbies or uh, just their, their situation in life, often look to others for help, often look to others to say, you know, that was someone who succeeded in that area, who did well, was well known for that in that area, and so they're looked to as an example to follow, uh, as someone that can help us along. And, you know, you think of someone, maybe a, a, a military officer uh, might look to those in history that were great generals like Robert E. Lee, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, General Lucius Truscott, Douglas MacArthur, and Dwight Eisenhower, and, and look to them and say, you know, they're, they're going to help me uh, as examples for me to follow in my career that I can grow and be the best that I can be. Uh, maybe an athlete. Uh, you know, I was reading uh, this week uh, about the, the commercial in the 90s. Uh, the Gatorade commercial uh, that had the song, uh, I want to be like Mike. And, uh, you know, so Michael Jordan, you know, for someone who's a basketball player, might be the example of, of hard work and, and what it is to, to be a great uh, basketball player. Not even that, just, you know, he's known as one of, if not the greatest athlete there has been, uh, arguably. And uh, so an athlete might just want to look to him and say, okay, what needs to be produced in my life? What does my life need to look like so that I can be the, the greatest athlete I can be? Someone in the field of science, maybe like a physicist, might want to look to Albert Einstein as an example uh, of what was in his life and, and how he became what he was uh, in the science world. You know, as we've been looking uh, last week at this letter to the Thessalonians, we asked, is this a church that we can look to? Uh, is this a church that we can say, you know, they, they were a faithful church, and so we as a church can say, you know, we want to be like them. We want to be more like them. And, and the faithfulness that they had shown. Uh, could there be things that the Apostle Paul says in this letter that we reflect in as a church and can say that we want to be like that or that we are like that? And again, we said that as we look uh, to the church in Thessalonica, we, we are not comparing ourselves to a perfect church, which is good because we are not ourselves a perfect church. There are things and areas where we need to grow. But can we grow and strive all the more to be what we are called to be as both individuals and a church as we look here and study through First and Second Thessalonians? Now remember, the, the background information that we discussed last week as we thought about this letter. The church in Thessalonica was a church that the Apostle Paul planted uh, during his second missionary journey. And we see him and Silas there in Thessalonica in the book of Acts, chapter 17. And we mentioned last week that Silas, he's the one mentioned in the address of this letter as Silvanus, which was probably his uh, Latin name. 
And when Paul wrote this letter, the church in Thessalonica was quite young. And yet as a church, they had known persecution almost from their very start. And because of the opposition they faced in their faith, the Apostle Paul was concerned for them. Would they stand up under that persecution? And so in his concern, he sent Timothy to them to check on them and see how they were doing. And when Timothy returned to the Apostle Paul, he returned with good news. That even despite the persecution, despite the opposition, they were a faithful church. They were persevering in their faith. And so with that information that Paul received, he was motivated then to write to this church and encourage them in their young faith. And so he wrote to this solid, growing church. And in that encouragement, we see that he gave them instructions and and he gave them clarification on things as well. And so now as we begin to actually dig into the letter itself, let us read our, our passage here for this morning. So again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. As we see in the opening verse, this letter is addressed from the Apostle Paul, Silvanus, or like we said before, Silas, and Timothy. Now, it is mostly understood that Paul is is really the sole author of this letter. But to what extent Silas and Timothy were involved in the writing and sending of this letter, we, we can't be sure. But nonetheless, Paul sent this letter from the three of them. And then we see that the recipients of this letter, the, the church there in Thessalonica, they are described by Paul as being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of being in Christ is something that we see Paul say often in his letters. And as we've discussed at other times, this is referring to the union that the believer has in Christ. It's referring to the, uh, the relationship and to Christ's representation of the believer by faith. And the truth of the matter is, if one is truly in Jesus Christ, they are also then in God the Father. And so as Paul was writing to this church, 
it is clear that he understands that those whom he is writing to are believers. They are Christians, those who are in God the Father and Jesus Christ. And see, since he is writing to a church, then that makes sense. Because what is, what is a church made up of? Believers in Christ, right? And so even as we have our membership and, and those we bring into the membership, we are looking to bring in those who are believers in Christ because that's what makes up the church. That's who the church is. Believers in Christ gather together. And so it's these believers that the Apostle Paul is writing to there in Thessalonica. And he sends his greeting saying, Grace to you and peace. And as we come to verse 2, we come to the, the beginning of the body of this letter. And as is customary, the Apostle Paul begins with giving thanks to God for the recipients of his letter. And so we see here the main point, the main idea of this text is the expression of Paul, Silas, and Timothy's gratitude towards God for his work among the Thessalonians. This gratitude is derived from the assurance that they had that the Thessalonians were chosen by God. And what we see here in verse 2 is that they gave thanks to God for all the work that was done there in the church in Thessalonica. This was something they did regularly, as we see here. And this continually of, continual given thanks was expressed in speaking of the Thessalonians to God in their prayers. In giving thanks and praying to God concerning them because their gratitude is expressed to God because God's the one who did the work. God gets the recognition. All of this is what God has done, so he should receive all the thanks, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise for the work that has been done among the Thessalonians. He is the one who brought about all the things that Paul talks about. And even what we see here in verse 3, when Paul says about the work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So again, we're looking at this church saying, are, are we like this church? Is this a church that's an example for us to follow in any way? And so as we read about this, can we say that what's produced in us here in the membership of North Valley is the work of God? And that we can see here among us the work that the gospel produces in those who believe and the work that God produces. That there is a work of faith. And by works of faith, we're talking about that which is a result of saving faith. That which is a demonstration that our faith in Christ is genuine. That we are no longer who we used to be. We are no longer living with all the same perpetual desires and urges that we once had. Giving in to those things. But instead that we are compelled to pursue holiness. And that we desire to please God. There's now a difference in our heart. There's a difference in who we are. Also, too, are we motivated by love to labor for others? Are we looking for what's in the best interest of one another? I think we'll see in chapter 4 that this idea of labor of love, that the love that was seen there among the Thessalonians was an evidence of their salvation because it was God who taught them to love one another. And as one commentator points out, 
uh, the Greek word for work, as in work of faith, it focuses on the deed itself. Whereas the word for labor, labor of love, looks to the effort expanded in accomplishing a particular deed. So the word for labor here can be translated as burdensome or toil as well. Is that the reality of what the salvation that we have has produced in our lives? Can we see this labor, this toiling for one another? Is there evidence in our church and in our individual lives of also too steadfastness or persevering hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now remember, this was a church that was facing persecution almost right from their start. And yet, even despite that persecution, they had persevering hope. Not hope that was in wishful thinking that their suffering in this life would end, and that there would be a better day coming in this life. No, but this was a confidence. This was a hope that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their confidence in, the, in expecting to receive all that Christ had promised. All that those who can be assured of, if, if our hope, if our trust for salvation, for our right standing before God, for the forgiveness of our sins is in Jesus. And so really they have a persevering hope because their hope was in Christ. Not in anything else at all. Nothing else can give us a persevering hope. Now we sometimes try to put hope in other things, but that's always a hope that's going to fail us at one point or another. We cling to things like trying to get the right politician into office or, or for a revolution in our society, or, or hope to get a better job and, and to have it easier in this world. But if they're the things we're putting our hope in, all of those things are, are pretty nearsighted. And what happens if the wrong guy gets into office? What happens if things in our life don't change? If we don't get that promotion, if we're not able to get that job? What happens if all the things we're putting our hope in proves to be nothing more than wishful thinking? Does our hope then die? That's not a persevering hope then, is it? No, but if our hope is in Christ Jesus, it is a persevering hope. His promises are sure. He saves to the uttermost. And Christ is true, enduring hope. So North Valley, is there reason for gratitude to God for what is produced in us? What is produced in you and in me as individuals and us as a church as a whole? Is there reason to give God thanks because the evidence of our salvation is, well, evident. It's evident like it was among the Thessalonians. That here there is a work of faith. That here can be seen the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And note too, as Paul talks about these things, 
Uh, these things weren't there among the Thessalonians because they're the things that saved them. These things did not accomplish their salvation, but these were the things that were the product of their salvation. These things could be seen among the Thessalonians because they were saved. And so again, seeing these produced in the Thessalonians, as we see here in verse 4, Paul, Silas, and Timothy could see the evidence of the very thing that they knew, the very thing that they perceived, that these Thessalonians were God's chosen. Which again, was the very ground for their gratitude to God concerning the Thessalonians. Which is to say that they were thankful to God for saving the Thessalonians. That they were one of God's by his choosing of them, which produced in them the works of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. All Christians, all those whom God has saved and made his own, are such due to God's choosing of them. Salvation is all of God from start to finish. He gets all the credit, all the praise for salvation and the work of salvation produced in a believer's life is the work of God. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy expressed their thanks to God as they could identify these Thessalonians as brothers loved by God. And they knew they were chosen because as Paul said in verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When the apostle and his co-workers preached They didn't just preach with empty words of philosophy and man's opinions. It wasn't in words only. And also, too, in saying it wasn't in words only doesn't mean that it was without words at all. Uh, There's no preach the gospel always and when necessary use words kind of idea here. There's none of that. As one person once said, to to say, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words, that's kind of like saying, breathe always and when necessary use air. You need to breathe always and it's always necessary to use air to breathe. And so too, in preaching the gospel, it's always necessary to use words. The gospel spreads with the proclamation of the gospel, with words. And so the apostle used words, but they weren't words only. These words were in power, which some argue refer to the miracles, the signs and wonders that accompanied the preaching of the gospel at the beginning of the church age. Or it could also refer to the internal work of the Spirit applying the word preach and converting the hearer. In either case, if they preached in power, then they preached also in the Holy Spirit. And if in power and in the Holy Spirit, their words were also accompanied with much certainty. They were certain of the work of the Holy Spirit among the Thessalonians. And in assuring the Thessalonians of their election, telling them of their gratitude that they knew that they were God's chosen, we see again, like the whole point of the letter, Paul was striving to encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. And in doing so, he's assuring them that not only was the gospel preached to them in words and in power and the Holy Spirit and with much certainty, but also Paul reminds the Thessalonians of the kind of men who preached the gospel to them. Of what kind of men Paul and his co-workers proved themselves to be. 
that there was both power in their preaching and also power in their living. You see that in the end of verse 5. It says, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I think it was Richard Baxter, although I, I couldn't find the quote, so maybe it wasn't Richard Baxter. I think it was, though. I'm going to be stubborn there. and say I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, but there was a great quote I remember reading a while back. It says that God works powerfully through the man in whom he works powerfully in. And though just living out our lives alone does not communicate the gospel without words, so those words, though, do not stand alone either. Paul preached in power and in the Spirit and in much certainty, but he also lived a life that put on full display the reality and the transforming work of the gospel he proclaimed. And so must we. Far be it for us to live a life that is in contradiction to the gospel we preach and the gospel we claim to believe. And Paul knew the importance of his character. And so he believed that as he lived it out, he was living it out for the sake of those he proclaimed the gospel to. And it was for them And as they saw Paul's life, as they had the true work of faith in them, they became imitators of Paul and imitators of Paul's co-workers. And not only of them, but in imitating Paul, they also became then imitators of Christ, of the Lord. And why does Paul say there in verse 6 specifically that they became imitators of Paul and his co-workers and of the Lord? Because verse 6 says this, For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we read in Acts 17 of how after some of the Jews converted and joined Paul and Silas, along with some Greeks and some prominent women, there were Jews there in the city that became jealous and formed a mob and stirred up the city and dragged Jason. Remember, Jason, we said, was probably one who housed Paul and Silas there in Thessalonica. They, they dragged him out with other brothers, other believers, and brought them before the authorities of the city. And so this church has known persecution almost from its very start. And yet, despite the oppression they faced, they still believed. They still received the word of God. And they didn't do it reluctantly. They didn't do it under compulsion, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Who receives with joy the very thing that is the source of their suffering? The one who receives the good news of salvation in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they followed Paul's example. And by doing so, they were following Christ's example. And in doing so, they became an example to others. Verse 7 says that they were an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So again, is this a church that we want to look up to? A church that's an example to us? That we want to be like this? Are we like this in any way? Are we imitating them and so therefore imitating the apostles? 
And if we are imitating the apostle, are we then imitating Christ? Are we becoming more and more like Christ as we follow their example? And then, if that's the case, can we then become an example for other believers in the surrounding area to follow? Are we an example for those in Carbondale, Mayfield, and the rest of the Scranton area? That those around us could say, hey, do you want to know what it means, what it looks like to really believe the gospel? Do you want to know what it means, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you really want to know? Go look at North Valley. They're an example for all of us. Can that be said? Is that true? Are we an example as the Thessalonians were an example? Can people look to follow our example and therefore be following the apostles' example and therefore following Christ's example, therefore becoming more and more like Christ because of us? Can that be said of us? Now, granted, we mentioned last time not many of us have received the gospel with much opposition. But what about when opposition inevitably comes? Will we be following the example of the Thessalonians then? Will we be following Paul and following Christ even then? Well, how are we living now? Are we living now as examples to others in all our conduct? Does our living now demonstrate the truth and power of the gospel for the sake of others? for the sake of those we share the gospel with. Are we sharing the gospel with others? As we come to verse 8, Paul then proves his claim that the Thessalonians were examples by saying, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. They did not just receive the gospel, but they proclaimed the gospel in the surrounding area. Likely, as they went, as they traveled for work or for pleasure, for whatever it was, as they were going out, wherever they went, they took the gospel with them. And so the gospel sounded forth, it trumpeted forth from them everywhere they went. And when you receive and truly believe the sweet message of salvation in the power of the Holy Spirit, how can you keep it to yourself? The Thessalonians couldn't keep it to themselves. The word of the Lord sounded forth from them. Does it sound forth from us? And by their words and the life they lived, in tandem, they spread the word of the Lord throughout the region and beyond. So that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they didn't have to tell others about the faith of the Thessalonians. People already knew. They were already aware of them. They were hearing about it from others. And we see in verse 9 that they didn't have to tell people about how the Thessalonians even received them. They didn't have to give testimony about, hey, you know, when we were in Thessalonica, they, they, they gave us a warm welcome and it was, it was great. No, they didn't have to tell people. People were already talking about it. It was already known about how they treated Paul and his co-workers. And they were also talking about the reality of the gospel among them in the news of their transformation. How they turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God. You know, just like the Thessalonians, if if we are God's chosen, if we have heard the gospel and received it with joy that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit, if we are truly saved, then we turn from our idols. We turn from our false gods. We turn from our wrong believing and wrong thinking. We turn from our sin and our rebellion against God. And so we turn to God in faith. We turn to Him to serve Him who is the one true and living God. We're converted, which included in that is repentance. A turning from our idols, from our rebellion, turning to God. Not only did the Thessalonians turn from their idols to serve God, but they also turn, as we see in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Those who are God's chosen bear the evidence of salvation, having received the word of God, the gospel by faith, turning from their old way of life, turning to God, turning to him with a new and great expectation. The expectation being the coming of Christ. We wait with eager expectations for the Savior. The Savior, the one that God raised from the dead. He was going to return We know this for sure. So we can look with great hope as opposed to great fear. Because though we have earned his wrath by our idols, by our rebellion, by our sin, with every lie, with every lustful glance, with every bitter and angry intent, but because he has offered himself on the cross for all who will turn from their sin and trust in him alone for their salvation... He has delivered us, and he delivers us from the wrath to come. And so now we can look forward to seeing Christ. Because we know that we will not suffer the wrath that's to come, his wrath on this earth. But instead, we will be with him, as we see, as we will see in chapter 4. He who is our delight He who is the very source of our joy. He who saved us. He who loved us. And so now, him whom we love in return. We have the hope and the joy of knowing that in his coming, we're going to be with him. And what a great hope that that is. My friend, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Having turned from your sin to serve the living and true God? Do you see in your life the product of salvation? Do you see work of faith? Do you see a labor of love and steadfastness of hope? Can someone, maybe the one who shared the gospel with you, Can that one give thanks to God because they know that you are chosen of God? There's the evidence of salvation produced in you. They they know that when the gospel was proclaimed to you, it was proclaimed in power 
in the Holy Spirit. We see the evidence of it. Is there a work in us that we are sharing the gospel to the world around us? That we're sharing the gospel and take it where we go? Is our faith known? And is our life and faith an example to others? Is there someone who's giving thanks for us? For North Valley Baptist Church? For the work that God is doing here? And at the same time, is there someone that we're giving thanks for? Who are we discipling? Who are we coming alongside of? Who are we striving to encourage as we see the genuineness of their faith, the product of their faith in their lives? And that we are giving thanks to God ourselves for them and what God has done. My friends, in this way, are the Thessalonians, are they an example for us to follow? That we would want to be like them? Are we like them in this way? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.